morning, everyone. We're getting quite a few people here already, which is fantastic. We're just going to give it another minute or so before we start our chat, but uh, feel free to say hello in the chat in the meantime. I just saw someone say they wish they were in SA now, and I completely agree with them. <laughs> I need to say, yeah, that's why I smiled. <laughs> Absolutely. Wouldn't we love that right now? Especially with the photos of us. I love the backgrounds, obviously. You've got the, the vineyards, um, Cape Town, and then the hole in the wall there, Rachel. Hole in the wall, yeah. Oh, guys, I'm loving all the, all the love on the chat. Keep it coming. We love it. Please, yeah, some nice positivity. Right, folks, I think we're going to get into it. So firstly, a very good morning to you all uh, from a West London share house bedroom such as this. It's not quite as lovely as being in South Africa at the moment. Um, I want to thank you all for joining us. There's quite a number of people uh, that have jumped on pretty much straight away, which is fantastic. And I'm sure there'll be a few more people as well. Uh, for anyone that is wondering, we will be recording this today. So uh, not uh, to worry too much about that, because uh, if you do miss anything, then um, folks, my name is Steve Balderston. I've probably met some of you before, perhaps chatted to you. And if I haven't, nice to meet you. And thanks for joining us today. I'm the trade training specialist for South African tourism. Uh, joined today with me is Sherwin Ahrens, our trade relations officer. Sherwin, say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, I may have met some of you at one of our trade events or maybe hosted you on one of our famous fam trips. Um, but yeah, looking forward to going through South Africa with you today. Absolutely. And we've got the fantastic Rachel Lewis, our campaign and partnerships manager, here to give us a little bit of insight on, uh, well, not just South Africa, because that's what we're all here to do, but Greg's experience, Greg Wallace's experience around South Africa. Say hello to everyone, Rachel. Hi, everybody. Fantastic. Now, throughout today, as I mentioned, we are recording, but also as we go along, we do have a Q&A box. So feel free to pop some questions in there as we're going along. We'll try our best to keep an eye on it as well and answer any of your questions as quickly as possible. If we do forget, we'll most certainly be having a look towards the end of the day as well. Um, towards the end of the day, it makes it sound like it's a day long session. Don't worry everyone, it is just an hour that we're here for. So it's nice and easy. Speaking of towards the end as well, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the prizes that we have up for grabs today too, and how you can get the chance to win them. Um, I feel like we should probably get straight into it. So uh, the purpose of today's webinar folks is to talk 
about experiencing South Africa just like Greg did. So obviously Greg uh, was very fortunate to travel around many different parts of South Africa, not just to experience the culture, to experience the wildlife, the landscape, but also most importantly, the cuisine. It was a hell of a lot more than a buttery biscuit base for Mr. Uh, uh, Wallace as he was traveling from A to B within the Rainbow Nation. Rachel was lucky enough to join him on the trip, uh, on the filming. So she's here to offer some uh, behind the scenes uh, anecdotes for today. And then Sherwin, of course, is born and bred Sapphire. He's from Cape Town. He's from the mother city. So we're going to be chatting about a few different things. But of course, mainly, we're going to be following where Greg actually went on his itinerary. Some of this is a little bit different to what perhaps you have booked your clients before. And that's why we thought it might be good to do a little bit of a discussion about the, uh, well, about the whole thing in general, basically. Before we do, just in case we have anyone on board today that isn't overly familiar or overly confident in selling South Africa as a destination, I will just very briefly chat about South Africa as a whole before we get into it. So folks, 11 official languages, nine amazing provinces and three capital cities. I don't know of any other country in the world that has 11 official languages. Now that doesn't matter so much for your clients in the UK and the Irish markets, which are the markets that we look after because the main language of business, the lingua franca is English. Your clients won't have any problems and yourselves will not have any issues if you travel down there. And I'm sure some of you have traveled there before in communicating with anyone and everyone that works within the tourism industry, which is good. Uh, those nine amazing provinces, we'll be focusing on a few of those provinces today. Don't worry too much about their names. I'd be uh, a little bit doubtful if your clients ask you about the specific names of each of the provinces, but we will be focusing on Gauteng, that's where Johannesburg is situated. We'll be focusing on the Western Cape, a little bit on the Eastern Cape, the beautiful KwaZulu-Natal province as well, one of my personal favourites, but there are quite a number of other ones too. Three capital cities, again, just like the 11 official languages, it's the only country that I know of in the world that has three capital cities, and that's just because of history, good old history. There's a heck of a lot of it here in the Rainbow Nation as well. So one of the capital cities is Pretoria, just to the north of Johannesburg. You might see this red aircraft uh, on our presentation here. That's very close to where Pretoria is. You can just see the P and the R there. Um, I obviously didn't think about that too much when I put that plane dropping in. Uh, and then we've also got Cape Town, which is one of the other capitals. So uh, I forgot to mention, sorry, that Pretoria is the executive capital. That's where the union buildings are and that's where the president resides. Cape Town is the parliamentary capital. And then we won't be touching too much on it today, but Bloemfontein in the Free State, that's the judicial capital. Of course, I'm sure most of you know though that Johannesburg is the largest city by population, but it is not a capital city within South Africa. Uh, value for money is absolutely phenomenal. Now, Greg actually spoke about this a number of times in his pre and post trip interviews, just how cheap it is once you hit the ground running. If you ever have clients that are a little bit worried about just how much this trip ends up costing them, tell them that it all makes a big difference once they hit the ground running. Because to give you an example, if you're going for a pint of beer here in, in central London, it's about five pounds when the pubs eventually open again, of course. And it'd be pretty similar in lots of the other cities if you want a decent pint there people might get a little bit annoyed because it's £2.50. So I tend to find that comparing it to beer or maybe coffee or wine is always a good idea to get a good comparison for the country. But the value for money, almost 21 Rand to the pound and almost 18 Rand to the euro for any of our Irish friends that are watching at the moment too. 
Now, just talking about that plane before, you can actually see there are three aircraft on the screen. So the red plane, that's dropping down into OR Tambo Airport. That is uh, by far number-wise, pre-COVID, of course, the most uh, important entry point into South Africa. This is the starting point for a lot of itineraries within South Africa, whether that be people moving on and transiting through and continuing on from Cape Town or Durban or somewhere else, or actually beginning their entire trip in Gauteng as well. The blue plane is flying down into Cape Town, the second most popular route, and Durban, KwaZulu-Natal, that's where that green aircraft has arrived into. So just a couple of amazing things about South Africa. And once again, I'm sure a lot of you know this, which is brilliant. It's always good to remind yourselves of this and uh, passing that on to your colleagues, but also quite importantly, for any of you that haven't sold South Africa too much, here are some of the unique selling points. Scenic beauty, now that might not necessarily be a unique selling point you think, but trust me, the varied scenic beauty all across this country, a country that's smaller than some of those larger ones like Canada, Australia, Brazil, the United States, there is so much jam-packed into such a small place. Those nine provinces really have something different to offer everybody, which is quite good. 2,700 kilometres of coastline, that's a fair whack of coast there. If you're a Cape Tonian like Sherwin, you can swim at the beach there all year round. It might be a little bit chilly, but it's no problem. For the Brits and the Irish heading down to South Africa, though, you can head to the east coast where some of that coastline exists and you've got white sandy beaches. You've got warm water all year round because it is in the Indian Ocean. And that's what Durban and the surrounding province along the coastline, that is, of course, is extremely popular for. We have a lot of people combining trips for their clients and packages with South Africa and then finishing off with a beach holiday destination, perhaps Mauritius or something like that. Do keep in mind just how good the money is here and the fact that you don't have to exchange your rands for US dollars and just how cheap it is means that you have a fantastic beach experience using our beautiful coastline in South Africa. A very rich history and culture is 27 years of democracy for all now in 25 years uh, which was a couple of years ago now, uh, there were some fantastic celebrations all across the Rainbow Nations to celebrate just how far South Africa has come as a country. And then, of course, with 11 official languages, you can imagine just how many different cultures there are as well. You've got direct flights. Now, yes, that is coming out of London, but so long as it doesn't take your clients too long to get to London on a domestic flight from somewhere in the UK or perhaps the Republic of Ireland, then you know a direct flight is still pretty close to a good selling point as well. It's an 11 to 12-hour flight. Most of these flights are overnight if we're talking direct, particularly going down to South Africa. You've got British Airways, you've got Virgin Atlantic, and hopefully South African Airways will start flying back down toward the end of the year as well. And the other good thing is the time difference is so little that there is no jet lag. You could pop across to the east coast of the United States. It's only a six or seven hour flight. Love the cat in the background there, Rachel. Uh, but, you know, your clients will be wrecked for days. Whereas here, your clients can essentially hit the ground running because jet lag is not a thing, which is quite handy. There's no visa required for any UK or for that matter, EU residents. Uh, anyone that has sold trips down to South Africa before and had issues with families, children, different surnames, signed affidavits, all that sort of stuff, long gone now. Simply a passport is required for any children as well, even if the surname is different. So South Africa definitely has come a long way in accepting families down there. Value for money we spoke about, and I have a feeling we're gonna talk a little bit about the amazing food. And I haven't mentioned it on this, but I'm very sure we're gonna talk about some of the amazing wine in the Rainbow Nation today as well. Is that right, guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're already yeah. talking about it, Steve. They like, are. 
<laughs> this is this is the people just seem to concentrate on that it's great love it absolutely it's one of my favorite things to concentrate on even when i'm here in the uk i'm still drinking south african wine obviously so it's a very important thing now we're actually going to focus on safaris just very quickly in the first episode greg wallace traveled around the rainbow nation but he started off having some pretty amazing wildlife experiences. Now, Rachel, I do want to ask you about what this specific experience was like with Greg, but firstly, Sherwin, you're a native South African, you're a Cape Tonian. You've had the opportunity of going on safari many times throughout your life, as well as obviously your previous job and this one as well. Tell us a bit about your favorite things to do on safari, perhaps a tip or two for uh, people watching now as well. Um, thanks, Steve. Well, yes, I mean, safari is, like you said, really once in a lifetime um, experience. It's so special being out in the bush and just getting acquainted with wildlife and with nature a little bit better. Um, for me, um, I don't really sort of, you know, I do enjoy the larger animals and sort of tracking those. But I think when I'm on the vehicle, I really try to pay attention to what the guide is saying. Um, so a lot of the guides are so well trained that they'll point you in all kinds of directions when it comes to small animals, when it comes to plants and trees that you'll find along the way. Um, and that's always something that I encourage, um, you know, uh, travelers to do is just not look at, you know, the bigger sort of big five, so to speak, but also just look at everything around you and really get immersed in, into the wildlife. Fantastic. And tell me, when we're talking about wildlife, and you mentioned, obviously, listening to the guides, extremely important thing. People don't necessarily have to have guides though, because there's a different amount of ways that you can actually experience safari in South Africa. And I guess it depends on what budget people's clients are looking for. But uh, some people will drive their own vehicles into a national park, and then some people will be taken around for a very different experience in a private game reserve. But Sherwin, what would you say the main difference between a national park and a private game reserve is? It's one of the most common questions we get. It definitely is. Um, and national parks essentially are pieces of land that's governed by the national government in South Africa. Um, but these are quite restrictive in terms of, you know, sticking to the roads. You can't off-road in terms of searching for animals. Um, you also have, um, you know, you can only operate it during certain hours. Um, so there are curfews um, in place within the national parks as well. But then you get what we call private game reserves, which essentially um, are pieces of private land um, where a lot of our top lodges um, are located, um, you basically have a guided experience then. So you'll join a ranger um, over three or four days um, and they'll take you on a private or, or game drives um, where you could basically just, you know, get to learn about the animals a little bit more. Um, a lot of the rangers have studied, you know, to become a ranger for many years um, and have so much knowledge to share um, when you're on the vehicle with them. So that would probably be the, the difference between, between the two. Hands down. I couldn't have said it better myself. A much more intimate experience. But again, at least for people's clients, there is something for everyone out there when it comes to different budgets. Now, Rachel, um, tell me about firstly your first safari experience. And then secondly, I want to know what Greg thought about this whole experience that took him down. Obviously, he went a little bit further than just doing a regular safari as well. So tell us a bit about that. My, you want to know about my first safari experience? You're taking me first back to ever. You're taking me back to Kenya in 2000 when I know when I was when I was 11. So let's, yeah, let's that, talk about your your first South African. Yeah, I was about to say, are we going to do that? No, my first South Africa safari experience. Oh sure, um, I can't remember, but I will tell you about Greg's first South Africa ex safari experience. Um, okay. I think my first one was actually the Northern Cape, which is um, we'll get onto that later. Um, 
Greg actually was had never been on safari properly before and he was blown away by it because Amakala, those of you who know the Eastern Cape quite well will know that Amakala is situated is actually split by the N2 and you are um quite close to you know you drive off the road down a gravel road and then you're in the national in, in the um game reserve and I think that for him was it was just mind-blowing because we were driving along a normal road and then suddenly we're in the middle of nowhere and we're in the bush and we're viewing animals and he just thought it was absolutely insane um you can see the absolute grin on his face there as we were we were driving around um he was also one of the things that was great about it was he was so humbled by Will Foles, who was the vet that he went out with. He, you would have seen him in the program hugging, hugging a leopard to weigh it. But actually, the thing that I that sticks in my mind was when we found um, we went out a game drive, drive and we found some rhino, and we were on a separate vehicle, but we could hear everything that was going on. And they're driving towards the rhino, and Will is like. Will, Will has dedicated his life to saving the rhino. He is a he is an absolute legend. Um, and he's we're driving, they're driving towards the rhino, and he was like, this magnificent creature, what an amazing thing. Greg was like, Oh, do you know what? If I was going to compare myself to any animal, I'd say I was a rhino. And Will was just like, You've got a very high opinion of yourself, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, but yeah, de- definitely that. The whole idea of safari, Greg is Greg wants to go back to South Africa and following that experience, he wants to do safari again. Certainly don't blame him. I've been lucky enough to go to Amakala Game Reserve myself and, and what an amazing place it is, obviously. One of many big five game reserves in the Eastern Cape and that's not to take away from any other parts of South Africa as well. Rachel, speaking of an Eastern Cape safari, there is a couple of benefits of doing that for anyone that's already doing a garden route experience. Can you take us through just a couple of those? Yeah, I mean, you're an hour and a half from Platts, which is, no, sorry, from, not an hour and a half from Platts, you're an hour and a half from Port Elizabeth, um, which has recently changed names, but we won't go into that. Um, so you are very close to an airport. So whether or not you're starting the garden route from Port Elizabeth, you are very, very easy to get out to the game reserves. Also at the end of the garden route, a really nice way to be able to finish your, um, finish your holiday um, and then drive and then you'll be able to, the you'll be able to have your breakfast you'll have your morning game drive have your breakfast drive to the airport and get your flight home so it's a really simple process and um, there's no malaria so for families it's really amazing um the accessibility the 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 way that the land has been evolved from uh, farming to where the game reserves is is really evident and i think the conservation story in the eastern cape is a really strong one as well Yeah, I think that's fantastic. That's, Sorry, yeah. I was trying to press on you there. Absolutely brilliant. Um, let's move on from from uh, amazing safari experiences. And you really summed up what an Eastern Cape safari is like there as well, Rachel. Thanks for that. Sherwood, we're going to move along to Cape Town now. That's your hometown, of course. Um, tell us. What was it like growing up there? You grew up just a little bit outside of Cape Town. And, and what were some of the experiences growing up that actually people could go and visit and do themselves today as well within your hometown? Well, you're quite right there, um, Steve. I grew up um, about 15 minutes drive from Stellenbosch, which I know a lot of people know. It's quite a famous winelands town and also one of the oldest towns in the whole of South Africa. Um, and I think growing up, um, you really, I really appreciate just being outdoors, you know, my family are quite um, an outdoors family. So a lot of walking, um, a lot of hiking um, and just really enjoying the, the great weather that we have um, down there. 
um, there's a lot that I like about Stellenbosch, not just because I come from close by, but because I think it's just such an historic um, part of, of South Africa. It's got some of the oldest winelands as well, and probably some of the best wines, some of the best restaurants um, that you find um, in South Africa. Fantastic. I've got to be quicker at unmuting myself, don't I? <laughs> That's brilliant. Now, we've had uh, a bit of perspective from uh, a Cape Tonian, a South African born and bred. Rachel, you represent the entire British population at the moment. It's quite exciting. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Find out. Tell it. As a Brit visiting Cape Town, what are some of your favourite places and, and were there any good behind the scenes stories when you took Greg down to Cape Town for his filming? Um, I'm ready to get absolutely, I'm ready for the chat to go and tell me that I'm missing stuff and I'm going to miss so much stuff, just so you know. But the thing about a Brit going to Cape Town is the absolute beauty of it. Like everywhere you are in Cape Town, you are looking at something amazing. There is something that your eyes are just making you go, wow, it's a wow city. Um, whether it's Camps Bay, you've got Taylor Mountain, Lion's Head, Signal Hill, just the ocean. Um, it is so beautiful and the food and the vibe and you're just outdoors all the time. I love it. Like I'm a history geek as well. I love going around. I love doing walking tours. I love it. I just think there is something that really stimulates every single part of, of your passion points. No matter what your passion point is, Cape Town has something to stimulate it, in my opinion, whether it's just lying on the beach or whether it's getting down and dirty on Robin Island, getting into the real history of South Africa. Um, a really good anecdote from Cape Town, there's two um I think there's probably more um but you can see on your picture here um Sia Sia Khaleesi and Greg see we in the mornings Greg was staying in the Taj Hotel which was um which he loved um I was staying around the corner in a much more budget but budget hotel um due to government government wages um sorry government payment um and we basically went to pick him up in the morning and I could see this guy from behind and he was so imposing. And I was like, I said to our driver, I was like, I think that's Sia. And he was like, Sia. And I was like, Sia Khaleesi. I'm pretty sure that's Sia Khaleesi. So we went through, we went into the um, hotel and Greg is a massive rugby fan. So I literally skirted past Sia, went up to Greg and I was like, Sia Khaleesi's here. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? Six o'clock in the morning. What, what are you saying? What are these words? And I was like, Sia Khaleesi, the captain of the South African rugby team is walking into this hotel right now. And we managed to grab that photo. And Greg, the, the, the tables turned and Greg turned into a fanboy. So he, he'd have loads of people being like, oh, we have a selfie, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, mate I'm so happy to meet you like can I get a picture I need to tell my I need to tell my people back home that I've met you and he told him how inspirational he was and it was just a really lovely thing um second one was we went out for dinner for the first night to a restaurant called Yonsa and Co and we're sitting there and having this amazing food at a really reasonable price and Craig's just at, like blown away they were growing herbs all around the restaurant they had the hydro foil going on and they took him down to the charcuterie room and he was like mate they're making their own charcuterie who does that that's incredible so it's it was um Cape Town just blew him away and again he is he is due to go he messaged me about a couple of months ago saying when I book to go to Cape Town where should I stay so he is ready to go Fantastic. It's always very promising when people have been to promote it and they're looking at going back themselves personally as well. And what an amazing experience. I just assumed that this was planned, but you actually just came across 
Kim, that, I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. The captain of the South African rugby team, of course, the winners in 2019 as well, let us not forget. Yes. Um, just very quickly as well, we've had a couple of questions uh, in the chat. Looks like Rachel has already popped a couple of things in here, which is good, and Sherwin has as well. But just in case not everyone has seen, uh, Kerry was asking, does anyone know if taxis and Ubers are easy in Cape Town? Uber have to have a car. Uh, look, um, Uber, uh, taxis, absolutely fine. Cheap as chips, Ubers are safe, comfortable, reliable, just as they are here in the United Kingdoms um, and, and, and islands, uh, big cities, which is quite good. Taxis are nice and easy as well. If you're ever a little bit worried about taxis, all you have to do is make sure that you go to a taxi rank in order to get a correct taxi, or you can get one booked by your hotel concierge as well, but very, very easy. And of course, someone else mentioned uh, public transport. That's all they took when they were there, Sarah. Um, absolutely, public transport's nice and easy, whether the bus network or the train going further out as well, like places like Simonstown, Mulder's Beach, et cetera, et cetera. So brilliant, folks, brilliant. Now, um, moving on from Cape Town, and it's always hard to do so after spending some time here, but let's go into the Winelands for a little bit because uh, part of this particular episode Greg spent some time in the winelands as well now Sherwin you grew up very close to there of course which is exciting but I'm assuming not until you were 18 obviously that you started drinking wine what would you say your favorite wine is from South Africa well I mean it has to be a pinotage um so pinotage is a, is a grape that's you know the varietal has actually been founded in South Africa um, and it's probably what South African wine is most famous for. It's very, you know, readily available in supermarkets in the UK as well. Um, but I think that there's so much variety in terms of wine. Uh, it's very new world style. So there's a lot of mixing of grapes. The winemakers are quite adventurous. Um, and I think when you're out there, um, you also notice that a lot of South Africans would actually have ice cubes when they're having white wine. Um, and that's purely because the weather is so hot during the summer um, that it actually, you know, warms the, the wine up quite easily. So yeah, ice cubes are just used, you know, just for that extra um, coolness um, to the wine. Certainly is. South Africans and their ice cube and their white wine. A Chen Blanc never tasted so good, that's for sure. Uh, Rachel, of course, you uh, took Greg along to a few amazing places, including the Wine Tram, which is in Franschhoek, one of the, uh, uh, the well-known towns within the winelands. Tell us a little bit about his experience. The winelands are my some of my favourite. I would like to retire to the winelands. Um, I think right like next like tomorrow. I love it there. Greg loved it there. We um, went on the wine tram. We had it to ourselves for a bit. So you so you know, and it, it's so beautiful. Like you just can't get over. We have blue sky. You were surrounded by the mountains. You've got the vineyards, and it was just absolutely stunning. Yes, Fiona, we'll retire there together. Um, we will. You know, we we got. We, we were dry, we were going along and then then a whole load of tourists got on and they were just, he was just going around just like saying hello to everyone. And we went up to Le Petit Firm. Now guys, Le Petit Firm is situated just up the hill looking out over the Franschhoek Valley and the food and the wine. You could just spend an afternoon there just sitting and drinking the wine. I drink a lot of wine when I go to South Africa. I drink a lot of wine in the UK, but um, in South Africa, it always tastes that little bit better. <laughs> Very true indeed. And and tell me, uh, you got to take Greg along the actual wine tram as well. Um, if people have clients that are lucky enough to start in Drakenstein, they actually get a little bit of a wine tasting for their first trip. Yes, they do. What did Greg think of the wine tram? Well, yeah, I mean, he loved it. Yeah, 
I mean, it, it's a unique way of seeing the wine. I tell you what, I told him how much a ticket cost and he just was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you can't get from London to Oxford for that, but yet you can go on a wine tram in South Africa. Fantastic, isn't it? Drinking and tramming, I call it. It's very, very fun thing to do, that's for sure. Great experience for everyone, except, of course, if you're under 18. Uh, we're moving on to the Northern Cape now. Uh, Agrabi's Falls, what an amazingly spectacular place. Rachel shared amongst our team chat uh, probably about a month ago now just how powerful these waterfalls have gotten with a fair bit of summer rain up in the Northern Cape. They're absolutely amazing. Tell us, Rachel, have you got some fun facts about this particular area as well and perhaps the Green Kalahari in general where Greg visited? This is my favourite part of South Africa. Like, um, I'm a desert dweller by, by nature. I love the dry heat. I love being on the river swimming. I love just being around, like, that's the stunning scenery. I was lucky, when we were scouting out locations, I was lucky enough to go to one of the farmer's planes to fly over the falls and the gorge. And, you know, the, the way that they, they grow the grapes, which is like table grapes and everything, and um, right near the river, so you've got this, you've got this um, beautiful red, red landscape, and then you've just got this, this um, green strip going through, and it's like veins all feeding into the into the river. It's so beautiful. My favourite place, the waterfall, um, Ochabi's Falls is one. It's just it's so unexpected, and I think I think when you're away and you go and see something absolutely stunning, and it, it's the ones that are least expected that blow your mind the most. Nokograbis is definitely that. Um, I love it so much, guys. Then I know the Northern Cape logistically has a few more challenges to get to the others, but there's a reason for that. It's because it's so perfect, and you can't. And perfection doesn't come easy. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's fantastic, Rachel. Uh, Sean, you were lucky enough to travel there as well. And although Greg didn't visit some of the places that you visited, tell us a little bit about your experience. You were lucky enough to go to South Lodge and check out the night sky and understand a bit about the culture there. Yeah, I mean, like Rachel said, um, this part of South Africa is a bit isolated um, and a bit removed, but it's also the largest part of the country as well. Um, so the Northern Cape is actually South Africa's largest province. Um, and it also has the least amount of people. So when you're driving, you literally don't see as many cars as what you would do in the city, obviously. Um, it's also home to the Kalahari um, National Park, which is one of South Africa's biggest national parks. Um, it's right in the heart of the Kalahari and it shares a border with um, Botswana um, as well. Um, there's a really fantastic lodge um, within um, the national park called South Lodge. Um, and basically this lodge is owned by um, the sand bushmen. Um, so a lot of the land within this area of South Africa has actually been given back to the indigenous people, um, which is obviously really fantastic. Um, and you have to go through so many sand dunes to get to this lodge. It's completely removed um, from, you know, any kind of digital, if you want a digital detox, this is the place for you. Um, and, you know, just being out there um, in the middle of nowhere, not having any internet, um, being in the middle of the desert, um, it really is fantastic just having that sunset as it hits the sand dunes. It's absolutely spectacular when you're having your sundowners in the evening. Um, and then once you, you have your dinner, you go out um, at night. I've never seen such a clear sky before. Um, I appreciate it probably a little bit more because I live in London where there's so much light pollution. Uh, but when you're out there and you look up um, and you see the Milky Way um, above you, it's just fantastic. Um, this particular lodge has actually gotten um, dark sky status, which is a very claimed award um, worldwide in terms of stargazing. 
Um, so it's something that I'd really recommend, um, you know, probably people to do on their second or third trip um, to South Africa. Fantastic. Thanks so much for that, Sean. And I guess having a dark sky status makes it official. And of course, being in the Southern Hemisphere means that clients will have a different part of the sky to see than what they normally would if they've done anything similar in the Northern Hemisphere in general. Right, let's leave the Northern Cape. We're going to move along now back to the Western Cape, a little bit further out of Cape Town. Um, we should probably talk about, firstly, the garden route. So the garden route begins uh, quite often, according to a lot of people, in Cape Town itself, although not technically correct. It goes a little bit further along to Mossel Bay. That's where it starts and then heads out toward Port Elizabeth. Now, Greg visited a couple of different areas along the way, which is quite good. But Sherwin, of course, you've been lucky enough to do much, uh, a lot of this throughout your lifetime, which is fantastic. Tell us about some of your favourite experiences along the garden route in general. So the Garden Route really is um, one of the best self-drive um, routes in the world. Um, those of us who have been there, we know that, you know, it's fantastic, it's beautiful. Um, I think what makes it really appeal to the UK market as well, and self-drive in general in South Africa, is that we drive on the same side of the road as the UK. Um, it's very fuel efficient, um, you know, petrol is so cheap. Uh, but also there's a lot to do when you're driving. So the garden route essentially stretches um, for about six hours. Um, normally I would suggest um, your clients staying for about four or five nights in Cape Town, um, doing two or three nights in the Winelands and then actually getting a car and then driving down the garden route. Now there's plenty of, of things to do um, as you go um, down the route. Um, there's a lot of walking. It really appeals to active, um, you know, families. And there's just so much to do in terms of, you know, going out to sea. You could hike up a mountain. It just has a plethora um, of experiences. And I think for first time um, traveler to South Africa, it's a nice soft introduction um, to the country um, as well. Absolutely. Most certainly is. It's all about a bit of soft adventure along there, which is uh, what a fair bit of the client base coming from our market really enjoys too, which is quite good. There is a lot more than that, though. We'll talk about a bit of active adventure later on. But Rachel, actually, a bit later on, what am I saying? We're going to talk a bit about adventure now. Rachel, you were lucky enough to uh, take Greg along for his first ever shark cage diving experience. So tell us a little bit about this, uh, about the educational side of shark cage diving as well, which is quite important. I mean, shark cage diving is, um, I mean, it's a it's sold, it's sold as adrenaline, but really it's conservation. Um, we are so fortunate in South Africa. The, the, the marine wild, the marine life that is just off the shore. Now, Alison, who was featured on the program, has a saying that she says she challenges you to find such diversity so close to the shore anywhere else in the world. You just can't. She's doing her PhD in them, um, great white sharks. And the way that the, um, the, the business model is amazing, you know, it is, then the tourists who go on these boats, if you go to a prop, go with a, a properly accredited um, company, you then go and, um, you know, a property accredited com company, they are certified to be doing the research. So they're researching the animals and they're feeding into the scientific community. They're helping the conservation of the area and enhanced by um, the operators that are amazing. I think that when a lot shark cage diving does get bad press, but really, when you go with a proper um, operator, the chum that they put in the water is just a soup. It's not actually food. So the sharks um, are coming by to see you. They're, they're more interested in you than, than anything. They're like, who are these guys? Like the aquarium, the idea of an aquarium is completely switched. And, um, you know, 
that the idea that the such complex nature of predators, which are sharks, to think that people that the um, the ignorance surrounding the fact that people think that shark cage diving will affect their behaviour is astonishing because they are so complex. A little bit of chum in the water isn't going to change their lives. And actually, humans are responsible for a lot more sharks being killed than sharks killing humans as well. So I loved it. Just to let you know that the, the, when Greg went in the cage, he was so scared like I was so impressed that he went in he was so scared of it he was actually sick when he first got in but that was more to do with the rocking of the boat than the um scaring of the, sh the, the sharks we didn't see any great whites but that didn't matter because the bronze whaler is a pretty amazing shark as well people always think it's just great whites no there are so many different sharks um in the waters of South Africa Fantastic. And uh, it's not just sharks that you are lucky enough to hopefully see on some of these um, expeditions. And of course, speaking of other animals in general, you've got the African penguins, um, uh, which Greg was lucky enough to go and visit at uh, uh, the same episode as well, which is fantastic. Um, what are the marine big five? We, we, we talk about the big five quite often. Of course, you do find the big five on safari. Uh, but what are the marine big five? That's something that our listeners might not know. So the marine big five is um, it's made up of more kind of like the, the kind of the generic species name. So whales, dolphins, um, cape fur seals, penguins and sharks. But but obviously within that, there are humpback whales, brides whales, southern right whales and plenty more whales. And I don't want to name them all because I'll get them wrong. Um, the African penguin is um, on its own and the Cape fur seal, um, the dolphins. We've got the hump, the um, Indian Ocean hump dolphin. We've got the uh, bottlenose dolphin. We've got the common dolphin as well. Um, so, you know, and the sharks, I've already mentioned heaps of different types of sharks. So that is the that is the marine five. And actually you, you, you go for five, but you'll probably get a lot more. Agreed. Absolutely. I've certainly seen a heck of a lot more than that. Uh, and quite often we get people asking about when the best time of year is to go whale watching more specifically. And obviously we're, we're lucky in South Africa that there are quite a number of different types of whales that are there all year round. But the humpback migration usually occurs between August and, and November. That's when it's at its strongest there, I believe. And Hermanus is probably one of the best towns to watch it from. And quite often people call it the whale watching capital of the world. Um, Sherwin, tell us a little bit about why it would be the whale watching capital of the world. Well, it really is that. I mean, um, I've never seen whales breach like that from, you know, not even going into the water. So there's two types. You could actually do land-based whale watching where you're just standing on the shore um, and just watching them breach, which is absolutely amazing to see. But then you could also take a boat um, into, you know, a, a guided tour basically, um, where you go out into the ocean and you get to see them a little bit more up close. Um, and the reason why they come into the waters is a lot of people don't know that the females come in to carve um, during those months. So they migrate from the from Antarctica, essentially, um, and they use our waters to carve. Um, so it's just fantastic to see because you might see um, some, you know, baby whales as well, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you don't want to go out to see the land based whale watching it's probably some of the most the best ones in the world. Fantastic. Uh, th there is just so much to learn 
about going on one of these expeditions out from Honsby, from Hermanus, plenty of different places, of course, do it. Absolutely fantastic. Now, let's talk about Johannesburg. Josie Joburg sometimes gets a little bit of a, 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 a bad rap, but uh, in my experience, it's come a long way in the last 10 to 15 years. And uh, as, as employees of South African tourism uh, outside of a pandemic, we're lucky enough to probably spend more time here than anywhere else. And I'm sure all of us could give some really good tips as to why it's amazing. But Rachel, I want to start with you. You actually took Greg here, which is fantastic. But tell us, why is it more than just a stopover? What can you do in, but also around Johannesburg that might be interesting to people and their clients? Um, I love Joburg. Joburg is an absolute melting pot, not just of South Africa, but of Africa. It's the story. The story of South Africa really is the story. The story of Johannesburg really is the story of Africa and South Africa in particular, because when you when you obviously a lot of people go to Cape Town and Cape Town is like you know the, the tourist capital and they'll go to Robin Island and and yeah Nelson Mandela was kept prisoner on Nelson, on um, Robin Island but he wasn't actually doing anything while he was there he was that was a symbolic thing he was very he was cut off from everyone the struggle was happening in places like Johannesburg and the rest of South Africa and to really get that you've got um you've got the apartheid museum you can go around Soweto you can see where all this happens but on top of that you've now got this this city that is just finding itself and reimagining itself every few years and it really is a melting pot of of the continent so when you go to the likes of the neighborhood market which is right in the center downtown Joburg you can get tagines from Morocco jollof rice from um, Nigeria piri piri prawns from Mozambique you can get your shizanyama um, or braai whatever you want to call it you can get everything in that place and you are surrounded by the Indian culture of South Africa but also but also you've got European influence there as well it really does symbolize what South Africa is and also it's a great city like you are uh, the street art the artifacts the markets the the hotels like it is an amazing place to fly into it's the cheapest place to fly into in South Africa the airport is really well connected to the city through the Gau train and I, I couldn't recommend it enough a lot of people fly in and fly out again they might be going to Vic Falls they might be going down to Cape Town they might be going down to Durban stay stay a couple of nights avoid maybe missing your connection have a couple of nights get to know the city the Food. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to carry on now. But you know, you know, you get the picture, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely. I could happily sit in downtown Johannesburg in Marbenang and and eat as much food as I can until I can't move. Maybe top it off with a good beer or even a flat white if it's early in the morning. So yeah, completely agree. And of course, you mentioned the Hau train, which is a fantastic uh, opportunity to take some transport that's very quick, safe, comfortable, reliable as well uh, from Oatambo Airport into the city, many stops, and as well as going up north to Pretoria as well, which is fantastic. Um, you've got the Cradle of Humankind, which is just a few hours. Uh, sorry, a few hours drive away too. Yeah, loads of things to do in and around Johannesburg. Um, let's talk about townships. You mentioned Soweto very briefly, Rachel, but but Sherwin, uh, obviously growing up in Cape Town, you had a number of townships near you, probably one of the most famous ones or the most popular ones or, or well-known uh, uh, would be just outside of Cape Town as well, which is Kailicha. Tell us a bit about townships in general, and then we'll move on to you, Rachel. So, um, yeah, Steve, I mean, townships in South Africa are, like Rachel mentioned earlier, really big melting pots of culture um, in South Africa. Um, there's a lot of tribes, um, different tribes. So we've got, you know, various tribes in South Africa that have all moved into townships. 
Um, and it's just such a big, you know, diverse melting pot of, of different ethnicities, basically. Um, and I just love being out there. I think that it does give you a really kind of urban, authentic, very natural and genuine feel of South Africa. Um, but also it kind of, you know, isn't polished. And I think that um, that's really important in terms of just really having your clients get to experience the authenticity of, of the destination. Um, I see that you've moved on to um, our My South Africa guide um, there, which is Charles, which is actually, he's featured um, in the program. And he's actually the guy that took uh, Greg around in the tuk-tuk um, through Soweto. And he's a born and bred Sowetan. Um, and it's just amazing to see how tourism is actually, you know, being sustained in these townships and, and you know, how people are so creative when it comes to entrepreneurship. Um, so, yeah, I love being out there and I love um, Soweto particularly. Fantastic. And, and look, a lot of us know about Charles's personal story. And the amazing thing is in townships, everybody has a personal story about how they grew up, why they grew up the way they did. It's absolutely astonishing, um, but very, very amazing and would highly recommend as well from my side of things. Uh, Rachel, um, going and exploring the culture, experiencing that is certainly one thing and it's a must do within any township that clients go to. But there's other things you can do, particularly in Soweto. Greg tried some food. Uh, there's a couple of chimneys in the background there, the old Orlando smoke pots as well, or, or towers, sorry. Tell us a bit about the experiences that you had with Greg there. So Greg was overwhelmed, like, because Soweto is um, quite a, quite a, I don't want to say insult because that's a really bad word, but on, on your senses, everything, it's it's noise, it's visions, it's colours, it's, it's taste, it's everything. And so it was quite overwhelming for Greg. And we were on Villa Kazi Street, which lots of you will know, which is where Nelson Mandela's house is. It's actually really just a vibrant street. Like you would, it's the same as like Oxford Street, but like that kind of people go there. That's where people go. But just literally a couple of streets away where we stopped and had the um, theatre cooks with the Acha, um, it was like on a suburban, just a suburban back road. And it was lovely. And he was just so happy. He was really happy sitting outside that little food stand with those guys, having a chat, eating that food. He could have eat, eaten quite a lot of that, I reckon, if we hadn't stopped him. Um, and then we went down to the Orlando Towers, which is obviously what's in the background here. And we were like, Greg, you've got to do the bungee jump. That's, that's what you've got to do. And he was like, no, not a chance. So um, they were like, oh, is there someone, someone at the, maybe someone at the um, depot can do it. And I was just like, I'm right here. I'm, I'm here and I am ready to jump. Push me off. I'm there. Strap me in and push me off. I'm ready to do it. So actually on the TV show, the bungee jumping person that you saw in a red top going down, that was me. <laughs> and I am, um, and I would do it again in a second. Um, but at the bottom, you've got quad biking and other things that are going on. There's a massive Shizanyama at the bottom of those towers as well. It's actually just, a, you could just spend an afternoon there. It's really cool. Talking about active adventure, that certainly gets your adrenaline pumping. And remember for anyone that has clients that are interested in those sort of activities, yes, soft adventure is most certainly a thing throughout the Rainbow Nation, but active adventure, we've got plenty of it. Longest bungee jump in the world, which is uh, uh, in between uh, Port Elizabeth and Cape Town along the Garden Route um, on Blue Crons Bridge, uh, which is amazing. And for anyone that's not interested in jumping themselves, would still highly recommend going there because I can tell you that you are thoroughly entertained in watching other people jump off, which is always a very, very interesting thing to watch. Uh, there's the longest stadium swing in the world as well in Durban is Mo Moses Mabida Stadium. So there are plenty of different options. 
skydiving is a big thing as well. Um, speaking of Durban, let's chat about that now for a little bit. Um, Durban, uh, it's not the capital, it's the largest city within the province of KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, for people that have been to South Africa already, for clients, uh, a lot of the time they'll go back for a second time and this is where they will base themselves as a second trip. Of course, that doesn't mean it always has to be the second place that your clients want to go to, but I'll tell you, it's just a phenomenal area and just within the one province you can find so much. It's got a special place in my heart. Um, I tend to find Johannesburg and Cape Town a, a Fantastic cities, absolutely wonderful. And they've got such a mixed heritage. Durban also has quite a mixed heritage there, the old Natal province. You've got the largest population of Indians uh, outside of India uh, living here as well, which is phenomenal. Uh, but it's got more of an African feel, I tend to find. And I really like the edge that the city of Durban has to offer for people. So a special place in my heart, that's for sure. Now, Rachel, a special place in everyone's heart that knows her is our Zulu queen. I think she's your Zulu mother, Toko. Tell us a bit about Toko and how Greg got along with her when he visited KwaZulu-Natal. I mean, who doesn't get along with Toko? I mean, she's my Zulu mum. I love her. When she met my partner, she told, um, she told him that he owed her 11 cows. Um, but um, I did point out that he hasn't asked me to marry him yet. And I think that probably puts him off the cow debt that he would have. Um, he, um, well, Toko is just, she is, she is such a proud Zulu woman. She is a proud South African woman. She's a proud Af woman. She is just amazing. She is everything that you want your tour guide to be. Um, and as a tourist board, she is an absolute gift. As a tourist board, when you go and find someone like Toko or someone like Charles, someone like Abigail in K-Town and all these others that you can find as part of our campaign, they give you, they, they make your job easy because, because someone like Toko who knows her culture through and through, but also loves her city, her province, her country, I mean, you just have everything there, like, you know, just giving and giving and giving. So when you're in South Africa with Toko, you can sit, she will take you into a Zulu village and she will help you. She will show you how, how the rondables are cleaned, the floors are cleaned with cow dung. She will then take you back to Durban and sit you down with a bunny chow and she will tell you where to get the best bunny chow because to her, that is, that is where she is, who she is and where she's from. The way she speaks Zulu, the Zulu language, although it sounds um, on the ear, it sounds a bit harsher than the other African um, South African languages. It's actually a very poetic language. So when she directly translates from Zulu into English, what you've got is you've got you, you just got poetry. It's amazing. I love her. Um, Greg loved her. He was just in fits of giggles with her because she is she's so so full of it and so full of love and he um he was really drawn to her I love it I, I'm just sitting here thinking I want to be in Durban I want to be with her I want to be eating buddy joe with taco right now please <laughs> absolutely she she embodies what we think of as South Africa the modern South Africa she? she is so passionate about her culture, but about South Africa in general, which is fantastic. Speaking of bunny chow, what a delicious meal. Uh, Sherwin, tell us a little bit about bunny chow. Uh, uh, of course, it's one of many fantastic varieties of food that you can get within South Africa. Definitely a culinary delight. What's the history behind bunny chow? I see um, Sue's just posted in the comments box that she loves bunny, bunny chow. Well, it's our favourite. Whenever we go to South Africa, that's on the menu for sure. Um, Rachel's partners from Durban and introduced her to the best places for bunny chow, these local little pop-ups, which are just absolutely amazing. Uh, but bunny chow um, essentially has been, you know, since the slave trade, um, when the Indians arrived in South Africa, um, that's when bunny chow actually came about. 
Um, so basically it's a half loaf of bread that's been hollowed out. And um, so all the dough has been removed. Um, and then you basically put in uh, some Indian curry. Now the Indian curry in South Africa is quite different. Um, the spices aren't as hot. They're probably more, they have more flavor. Um, and um, that's how you enjoy it basically. So it's a, a hollowed out half loaf of bread with, with curry in it. And the reason why or how it's come about was that um, during those times in the 1800s, um, there were no bowls to carry food around. Um, so a lot of, um, you know, the Indians would basically make this, they would hollow out the bread, um, fill it with curry and they'd move it um, so that they could transport food um, to their families. And I never knew that up until recently. So yeah, really good. <laughs> Definitely some parallels there between the Cornish miners and their Cornish pasties and, and having a bit of bunny chow, that's for sure. If uh, uh, you ever eat the modern equivalent, which is exactly the same, except they keep the hollowed out bit of bread, uh, you can also eat that too. It's a garnish on top. It's a you have to eat that. You do. I agree. You, have to, you have to dig in with it, but you dig with it. Absolutely, yeah. you, have, you have to dunk it, definitely. Uh, and then if you're, any, uh, if you're like me, you also eat the full half of uh, bread that's been hollowed out. I, um, I, I never regret my decision, but I do often have to be rolled out afterwards. But just no swimming half an hour after you've eaten a bunch of and then you'll be actually fine. Um, speaking of swimming, though, I did mention the warm waters of, of Durban and KwaZulu-Natal in general. I see Jen Becker on the audience uh, there talking about some of her favorite places. She, uh, she included St. Lucia, which is a few hours to the north of Durban. One of the most amazing places I could sit here and talk about that and my hippo experience all day, but we do have a little bit of other, uh, a few other things to chat about. But um, yes, the warm water there, Umschlange, uh, Belito, St. Lucia, so many amazing beaches to go and enjoy within KZN, which is fantastic. Um, but moving out of Durban, uh, uh, going out toward the west, doing the Midlands meander, heading all the way up into the Berg. Uh, when I talk about the Berg, I'm talking about the Drachensberg or Ukaschlamba, as it's also known as in the Zulu culture. The Drachensberg Mountains, I mean, they're, they're absolutely stunning. They, they rival mountains here in Europe. You even get a little bit of snow there. Just on the kingdom of Lesotho side, you've got the tallest or the highest pub in the African continent, which is pretty amazing too. Greg was lucky enough to do a, a brief helicopter flight over the Drakensberg, wasn't he, Rachel? He was meant to, but he didn't. It was over the Valley of the Thousand Hills, which was just, which was very, very spectacular. And it was meant he was meant to go to the Drakensberg, but the weather stopped us. But um, unfortunately, but those of you who have been lucky enough, and I think I see someone on the chat there who was lucky enough to do a helicopter flight over the um, Drakensberg Mountains um, with me and showing a couple of years ago. I yeah, I mean it's an out it's a hiker's paradise. Like, you know, you've got quad biking and horse riding and helicopters and just soft adventure. Brits love it. Like Brits absolutely love the Drakensberg and um, because of that, because of that outdoorsy, you know, getting your walking boots on, going off on, on day hikes, it's amazing. It's great, love it. Absolutely. Fantastic. It's certainly a fantastic place, isn't it, to go around. And unlike the rolling green hills in Europe, when you see the odd bit of uh, uh, grazing done by cattle, you've got baboons running around doing the grazing instead. So adds just another dimension to it. Um, I see Kim on the chat has also mentioned St. Lucia. She said, I loved hippo hunting in St. Lucia. We drove around town looking for them so we could watch these adorable. In <laughs> Uh, yes, definitely keep your distance, but they are very adorable at the same time, that's for sure. Uh, right, moving away from the Berg, um, there are different times of year to travel to South Africa, but all in all, we would say that any time of year gives you a different experience, but clients can absolutely travel whenever they wish to. Um, but Sherwin, 
perhaps tell us about your tips for the seasons. So um, it's quite easy for me because when it's cold over here, that's when I like going over to South Africa. Uh, basically, um, South Africa's summer season is generally between September and April. Um, and that's when you have dry, warm weather um, in Cape Town and along the garden route. So for Eastern Cape Safari, that works particularly well because a lot of the bush is quite dry during those months. Uh, but then also up north in the Kruger, um, they actually experience dry winters. So that would be South, South, uh, South African winter or UK summer. Um, and that's between June, July, August. And that's when, you know, it's, it's basically dry and, and the bush isn't as dense um, in, in the Kruger at the, uh, during those months. I'd always suggest, um, and you probably know about this, Steve and Rachel, just going out um, with as many layers as possible because you're doing your game drives very early in the morning um, and then you're going out for the second one in the evening. It does get quite nippy. Um, so you definitely do want to have some layers. Um, and then as your clients would, um, the day progresses or, you know, as, as it gets warmer, they basically take the layers off or put it on when, in the evening. Absolutely. That's a great tip there. Um, Rachel, I missed something, didn't I? Jeez, that was terrible. How could I have missed it? It's actually one of my favourite places as well. And for any history buff, they absolutely love Guzulu Natal's battlefields. And of course, that was a pretty amazing uh, uh, site for Greg to see and hear about as well. <laughs> Quickly tell us about that before we move on. I think I was meant to link to it from the battlefield, uh, from the Drakensberg, and then we didn't. We just kind of skipped over it. So I just thought um, we'd just get we just get quickly guess it in there before we um we do we finish off um the battlefields um that greg went to obviously greg went to isandwana but also you have rock's drift and um, he flew over rock's drift um it's it is a place for the brits to go and it's so emotional as i don't know um like how to properly kind of do, do this justice but i suppose as british people when we're learning history and we're learning about kind of you know past glories and you know all of that kind of controversial stuff I guess but um we don't we it's very textbook it's extremely like this happened then and this was there and blah 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 and and when you go to the battlefields and if you stay somewhere like Fugitives Drift you can go out with guides who are ancestors of Zulu warriors that fought in Isandwana and I just cannot tell you the stories that come from it, the emotion that it literally drags out of you. I, I don't know anyone who's been there who hasn't felt moved. So I, I know, Steve, you've been with people who don't really like care about history and then they go, oh, right, that was amazing. Um, and um, and Piwa, who was there, um, who was there on this on this show with Greg, his great grandfather was at the battle and the way he tells that story is utterly amazing. So yeah, anyway, I just, wanted to get shoehorn that in there <laughs> completely right very right to do so i, I, I forgot about that so <laughs> how could i forget about such an amazing place because it really is such an amazing uh, a moving area rocks drift fugitives drift isandwana it's all just amazing when we're talking anglo blue war uh, but also of course anglo Boer war uh, that happened in two different times um just very quickly getting around it's, it's pretty easy in south africa a heck of a lot easier for anyone uh, that you might think that you haven't sold the destination before. So just got a couple of things up here. Obviously, self-drive by far for the UK and for the Irish market, the most popular thing to do. As shown and alluded to before, driving on the left-hand side of the road means it's super easy for your clients. They only need an EU or a UK license in order to do so as well, which is quite handy. And of course, you can pick up car hire from the airports themselves or spend a bit of time in one of the cities before going and collecting and then driving on, which is great. Um, there are some fantastic railway experiences or train journeys too. You've got the amazing 
pretty much palatial hotel on wheels that is the blue train that goes from Pretoria uh, down to Cape Town and vice versa. Um, it used to be a one-night itinerary, but it's actually now a two-night itinerary. It's been stretched out for everyone to relax because it really is about the journey rather than the destination. You see a fair bit of the Northern Cape along the way, certainly beautiful Kimberley area. Um, of course, scheduled trips, uh, escorted tours, very, very popular. Uh, we mentioned taxis as well, uh, not just for Cape Town, but we should sort of move that to other larger cities as well. So uh, all of the big places, taxis are nice and easy to find. Obviously, you can get them booked by a hotel concierge or go to a designated taxi stand. And Uber is cheap, easy, safe, reliable, comfortable, all of the good stuff, which is great. Now, depending on who you use for your flights, you'll find that there are a number of agreements within uh, the domestic airlines and some of the international ones, Virgin Atlantic, BA, uh, of course, SAA as well, they have their partner airlines that fly domestically within South Africa. And it means that once your clients arrive into South Africa, it is very easy to make their way from one city to another. And unlike some of the bigger countries out there, yes, uh, South Africa is uh, much larger than Great Britain and Northern Ireland. However, uh, bearing that in mind, um, sorry, I thought someone was just trying to talk there for a second. Bearing that in mind, uh, instead of taking four or five hours from one side to another, it's just a couple of hours on the plane instead. So it's quite a good selling point there. And a dodgy joke, I know, but that is my humour. Maybe one day we'll be lucky enough to have Virgin Galactic flying in as well. Uh, more or less it from us. We are going to answer some questions uh, very soon. I'll just double check if there has been more. And I see someone has raised their hand as well. But just very quickly before I do, for anyone that has received this as an email, or maybe you saw it on, on Travel Gossip's page, perhaps, but if you really want to stay in touch with us, uh, quite a number of days every week, uh, sometimes it shows this ugly mug, sometimes it doesn't, depending on how bad my lockdown haircut is. But uh, we have a Facebook page, um, SA Specialists. UK and Ireland travel trade. From that, you can also join our group, which is very important. And any training requests, or for that matter, any other requests, feel free to email us. We're always online, within working hours, obviously, tradeuk at southafrica.net. So nice and easy there, folks. Um, we also spoke about some prizes too. So the prizes that are up for grabs for anyone that stayed throughout the duration of the webinar today will be lucky enough to go in the, ch uh, uh, the draw for the chance to win a full 12 month long TDG Plus membership, which is fantastic. So you get a lot of access to uh, one of the most popular trade publications out there, which is very good. So do keep that in mind. And the runner up uh, who we draw out will be lucky enough to get a South African goodie bag with lots of goodies from South African tourism. I'm allowed back in the office as of Tuesday next week. So we'll be able to put that together and send out at a later date. But uh, very quickly, um, let's see who had their hand raised. Uh, I've answered a couple of questions in the Q&A box, just a couple you. ones on um, Sun City and the Zulu Battlefield. So brilliant, um, brilliant. thanks from Daryl and Greg there. I've um, just written Great. in the answer to make it, make it as quick as Perfect. possible. Perfect. That's easy then. And folks, do we have any other questions at all before we sign off? We've got a lot of people thanking us, which is great. It's great to see the love today, guys. Just reading everything that everybody was saying. You've seen we love the love. Our webinars before. That was great. But yeah, we love the love and we need the love a little bit. So really, really appreciate it. But South Africa, they're on level one at the moment. We won't talk too much about what's going on, but uh, that's a very exciting thing to keep in mind. So when we are allowed to travel, 
we'll be able to get down to the Rainbow Nation sooner. So Ria Rhea just asked when we have an idea of SA will open again. Well, um, Ria, in all intents and purposes, um, South Africa's open. We're level one and um, international travel is permitted. Please, you know, it's essentially up to when the UK, um, what the UK travel advisory is, to be honest, mm -hmm. at the moment. So we, there is work going on behind the scenes. We, um, but, you know, it's very, very difficult to do. Um, but yeah, so it is open. You could travel there, but you would have to quarantine on return. And that's the that's the main barrier at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And and Heidi just asked if there are any YouTube videos from SA specialists that she could use. Heidi, we have so much we can offer you for free, of course. Just make sure you send us an email, tradeuk at southafrica.net, and we'll make sure we send that through, which is nice. And um, Colin has asked if there's any wine in the prize. <laughs> Good question. Uh, I've got to be honest, it's been quite a few months since I've been in the office, so I have to double check what's there exactly, <laughs> but let's keep our fingers crossed, Colin. <laughs> um, brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for the update. Can't wait to get back there and send clients there. Thanks so much for that, Alan. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Beth. Oh, yes, Beth's had a few of our videos already, so absolutely, you, you can let them know, which is very exciting. Um, but Rachel and Sherwin, thanks so much for being on the chat today. What a brilliant thing um, to have done, something a little bit different to what we're used to, obviously, but it was great yeah. to follow a bit of Greg's trip, but also having some experiences from someone who grew up there and, of course, Rachel from the Brit that spends more time there than she does in Britain when she's allowed to anyway. But thanks so much, everyone, for joining us today, and you will hear from us shortly as well. And remember to make sure you message us with lots of questions on our email address and join that Facebook group as well. Thanks, everybody. Thank and you, we, guys. We Take love. care. We know it's been a difficult year, so we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers.